0: North Point Vineyard Church.
1: Hey everybody, I'm Tara. Welcome to North Point Online. We're really glad that you chose to take some time to watch church with us this morning, wherever you are. Whether you're in your kitchen, in your living room, in your car. Um, We hope that you can take this time to focus in, to take a breath, to receive and experience the love of Jesus. We've got some worship to share with you guys. We've got some time of listening and learning together, a few announcements about what's happening at North Point, and then another round of worship. Thanks again for joining us. We love you guys and we are praying for you and we hope that you enjoy this Sunday service. Let's pray. God in heaven, we thank you for another opportunity to experience you. We thank you that during these uncertain times, you are sure. We thank you that in a season of questions, in a season of even discouragement, we can pause what we're doing wherever we are and we can lean on you. And so I pray today for all of my friends watching at home, Lord, that you would feel close even as we do this digital church thing, that they would experience and feel the comfort of your spirit in the places that they are lord and until we're all able to gather safely again i pray your protection and your love over them and their family now be with us during this time lord as we lift your name high as we listen for your spirit as we learn about you god we love you in your name we pray amen all right i'm going to pass it to nat for worship
2: Miracle workers promise keep light in the darkness my God that is.
0: jesus we're so thankful for the promise of who you are that you are a miracle worker that you are the light in our darkness that you are making a way god that you are keeping your promises to your people and that you are god who wants to be with his people through all of that and so god we pray that you would be here with us today in all of the places where we are even though we are not with each other god that you are with us so God, I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts for we have to say and do in this place. God, that you would speak to us, that you would move among us. God, we love you. We praise you. And our God's people said, Amen.
3: Good morning, North Point. So glad that you're joining us this morning online. I have just a few announcements for you. First up, if you have a prayer request or want to tell us how God is moving in your life, we would love to hear it um, and we would love to pray for you. And so um, if you go to our church center app or our website, northpointvineyard.com, you can find the link for our prayer and praise card um, and you can get a hold of us that way. For the last couple of months, we've been collecting supplies for our community care outreach, um, and these supplies, of course, are going to families who have tested positive for COVID and may not have what they need um, to clean and disinfect their house. And so we are currently still asking for some like really, really needed supplies for St. Joe Med Center. Um, and so those supplies would be like disinfecting spray, disinfecting wipes, um, hand sanitizer, and paper towels. So if you um, would like to pick up a few of those items and drop them off, that would be awesome. You can email Tara at northpointvineyard.com to schedule a time to drop that off. Final announcement from me is your weekly giving reminder. We don't get to do what we do here um, for our community without you church and so thank you for um, your faithful giving. Um, Just a reminder of the ways that you can give on our website at northpointvineyard.com giving. On the Church Center app you can text any amount to the number 84321 or you can mail a check directly to the church. That's it for me, Spencer's up with today's message.
4: Hey church, it's Spencer, your friendly neighborhood intern, and I'm gonna be bringing the word today. Last week, we finished up our summer long series, wandering through the latter parts of the book of Isaiah. And next week, Pastor Tara will begin a series on the unshakable kingdom of God. But today is gonna to be a unique time of transition. Transition in between series, sure, but also transition for me. As was said earlier in the service, uh, today's the last day of my internship here at North Point. As I prepare to leave, I think some words of gratitude are in order. So here we go. Thank you, church, for being so welcoming to me. There has not been a time that I have felt like an outsider here. And that is saying something, given that I only knew three members of the church before coming here, all of whom or family. Further, thank you for embodying sincerity in a church community. This church is not one that leans away from the tough parts of faithfulness and justice and has refreshed me remarkably so. Lastly, I want to thank you and the staff team for giving me the chance to speak from scripture and from my heart. Preaching is a joy of mine, but to open up the pulpit to a 23-year-old you hardly know and trust that he's not going to go off the rails and rant about ex-girlfriends or radical politics or cocaine or whatever is evidence of faith in and of itself. Thank you, church. Truly. This last point of gratitude is actually a good segue into the sermon today. As a kind of sending gift, Tara gave me the go-ahead to preach on whatever topic or passage that I'm passionate about. So after great deliberation, prayer, and fasting, I'm gonna be preaching a two-hour sermon from the Book of Biblical Erotic Poetry, Song of Songs. (laughs) Okay, not quite. I'm gonna do something a little bit different, but I had to make the joke. I have something a little bit different in mind today. Uh, A part of the faithful life that is rarely mentioned, but I think is super important to talk about, uh, we're going to be talking about the silence of God. Friends, how can we expect to live a faithful life until we know what that life will entail, including the bad? Let me illustrate this through a different area. When I was an undergrad studying ministry, I was lamenting my own capacity for personal failure uh, to my grandpa who had been in ministry for nearly 60 years. We were driving back in his truck and he looked at me and said, Spencer, the faithful life includes failure. The perfect life is not the same thing as the faithful life. This does not mean you go out and do whatever you want but you can be a little easier on yourself when you make a mistake. The faithful life includes failure. By reforming my expectations to be realistic and healthy, my grandpa gave me space to live a Christian life that wasn't racked with constant shame and frustration. By creating some space for me to be honest with myself about the faithful, what the faithful life looks like, I was able to actually start living it. That's my goal today. I wanna create some healthy space acknowledging that the faithful life includes the feeling of the absence of God. The sermon will have three movements. First, I'm gonna sketch what I understand to be a shallow understanding of how God interacts with us. Second, I'm gonna talk about three different passages that give striking language to the experiences of silence or absence of God. And then third, I wanna not just talk about how there's space for silence of God in the faithful life. But I want to talk about what that can change, how we can approach that grow from that go from that, right? Now, I don't want to dismiss that experience or boil it down to some moralism, but I think some reimagination is in order to think about some of the possible benefits and constructive ways we can navigate those kind of seasons in our lives. Before beginning our time today, I want to quickly name the fact that sitting in silence especially for people who have encountered trauma, is a really difficult experience. And so uh, you have my word uh, that you know throughout the sermon, uh, there will be maybe one, maybe two points where we sit in silence, but that will not be longer than a minute. And if you're watching this online and you feel uncomfortable, please just fast forward till you get to a point that's comfortable for you. Sound good? All right. I'm gonna pray, we're gonna sit briefly in some silence, and then we're gonna go into the sermon. Will you pray with me? Lord, meet us here. Meet us here today. Help us lean into another difficult area of faith with the hope that as we go from here, we can be encouraged that we're not alone and that we very well might not have something wrong with us, but there's actually just this beautiful mystery around you. That's what I pray for, God. I pray that that you give us the courage to lean into the beautiful mystery of you. Meet us here today. In your name, amen. Now go ahead and I want you to sit in silence for a few moments. Don't try to hear something in the silence. Don't try to listen for something. Just listen, if you can, to the silence itself. We're gonna give this about 30 seconds. So go ahead, if you wanna close your eyes, you can. And we'll just sit for a moment. Growing up, I was taught that God was a personal God who wanted to talk to me. I was taught that God talked to me through three major ways. Scripture, prayer, and the church. Now, this wasn't given to me in a pamphlet or something. I just picked it up from the stories that were being told around me. I'm convinced that most of our worldview is formed this way. I just constantly heard stories about the powerful experiences during worship or members of the church who read 10 chapters of the Bible a day or times where people would pray for four hours straight or moments at the altar where half the building got saved or resaved. These stories informed how I understood God spoke to people, how God was supposed to speak to me. And when you add that to the fact that God was a personal being who loved me and who obviously wanted to talk to me, The formula became quite simple. Read your Bible, pray, go to church, and then God will speak to you. I understood the game and began trying my hardest to read my Bible every day, write regularly in a prayer journal, and go to every church service I could. And sometimes I did feel God speak to me. I did hear the word of God. But there were also so many other times when I didn't. In fact, there were many times I felt like I heard nothing at all. Like I felt nothing at all. Now, within my earlier mindset, there was only one clear, there was also one clear circumstance where God would choose not to speak to you if you were resisting God in some way. Sin, unbelief, etc. There were times where we, and I believe that there's times where we close our ears and cover our eyes and choose not to see what God is doing in the world. That doesn't mean it always happens that way. And that's where the problem lies. Because even though I was trying my darndest to pursue God with everything that I had, when God was silent, there was obviously only one person to blame, and that was me. There must have been something deep down that was wrong with me. It must have been some hidden sin that I hadn't confessed yet, which led to some blanket confessions, right? Like, Lord, forgive me of every sin, past and future, even those moments I'm not quite sure which are sin or not, but forgive those too. Some of you know what I'm talking about. There was simply something wrong with me. That's what I believed. And that's surely why God didn't want to talk to me. So what happened is I would pray more and read my Bible more and worship more and confess more because then surely God would want to talk to me. But here's my question. Does that sound like a loving God? Does a mother say to her son, I will only speak to you after you do all your chores and finish your homework and make me dinner? Something was wrong with my worldview. Something was wrong with how I viewed the faithful life. Something had to change. What it took for me was mentors and loved ones who were vulnerable about their own lives their own long, long seasons in the spiritual desert, for me to give myself permission to believe that God's absence wasn't actually my fault all the time. And when I returned to the Bible with wider eyes and more courage, I realized that my earlier theory about how God speaks to us was so oversimplified, it completely missed the mark. In fact, there were multiple instances in the Bible where God's silence appears obviously. And I think it's worthwhile to take a look at a few of them. So let's engage with three. Let's look at three moments where the silence of God shows up. First, uh, let's turn to a man named Job. In the book of Job, a righteous man is afflicted by great devastation, supposedly directly from the hand of God. And then Job defends himself from friends who all blame that suffering on him. Surely he must have done something wrong. Sound familiar? One of Job's most consistent pleas to God is that God would answer him. Job is not just afflicted by circumstances, he's afflicted by the silence of God. Unfortunately, this confounding and beautiful story is more often than not boiled down to a shallow reading that goes something like this. There was a good man who loved God and had a lot of kids and stuff. God supposedly took all the stuff and kids away. Job was still faithful, though really sad, blah, blah, blah. Something about his friends being really bad listeners, blah, blah, blah. Then God spoke to Job and vindicated him in front of his friends and gave him even more stuff and even more kids and everyone was happy. Moral of the story, whatever you are suffering, don't worry. Eventually, you'll get even more stuff if you have faith because that's what faith results in, getting more stuff it doesn't make it's shallow and when I grew up a little bit I rejected such a superficial understanding of the book but I still read every verse with the ending in mind every time Job lamented God's absence or talked about the suffering he encountered I would think to myself oh just you wait buddy just you wait we know how the end's coming the story's coming your blessings coming man it will all work out I refused to lean into the fact that Job didn't know how the story would end. And I did this because at the time, I was too scared to acknowledge that I don't know exactly how the story of my life will end. Today, I don't read like that either because it still misses the point. I think even that is too simple. Instead, I try to journey alongside Job, this remarkably faithful person, as he anguishes Job doesn't know how the story ends and we should follow suit which removes a control that we have from having an outside perspective and it makes Job's words far more difficult and far more human when Job says in chapter 9 verse 32 God is not a mortal like me so I cannot argue with him or take him to trial He's openly admitting that the moment, there's moments that he aches to talk to God, but God is nowhere to be found. Or, or elsewhere, Job says in chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, I loathe my very life. Therefore, I will give free rein to my complaint and speak out in the bitterness of my soul. I will say to God, do not declare me guilty, but tell me what charges you have against me. He again is pleading with God to speak. He's suffering and living a faithful life and experiencing the silence of God. And this goes on for like 35 chapters, right? It's hard stuff. And I do understand at the end of the book, God does speak directly to him. But if you actually sit in those chapters without cheating and going prematurely to the end, whether on the page or in your mind, it paints a very different picture of what the faithful life can look like sometimes. Because remember, Job is like a varsity-level God follower, and even he has these experiences. Let's turn to another, Psalm 88. The book of Psalms is the hymn book of the Bible. It orients the emotional world of faithful followers of God, capturing moments of praise, lament, joy, frustration, and hope. Being a hymn book and all, one would think that the curators of the Psalms would focus on those happier, more praiseworthy moments. But it's in that book we find ourselves. In that book we find chapters and we find verses like we do in chapter 88. Here's verse six. You, speaking to God, you have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. My eye, uh verse nine, my eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you, 14. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face far from me? 18, you have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. That's how it ends. Darkness is my closest friend. Now, what would you do if Nat got on video and started singing something like this? Would you get a little shifty, right? Like it sounds more like a Simon and Garfunkel riff than David with his heart. Yes, I'm 23 and can still make a good Simon and Garfunkel joke. If the Psalms, which have been read by the faithful for 2,500 years, make space for these kinds of experiences and validate these kinds of experiences, Lord, why do you reject me? Might it be possible that we can make space within ourselves, within our understanding of the faithful life too, right? Like, if the Psalms make space for this, can't we? All right, one last passage, this time from the New Testament. Let's look at another person who's typically understood as embodying faithfulness Jesus. In the Gospel of Matthew, while Jesus is dying on the cross, he shouts out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In one of the most perplexing passages in all of the Bible, Jesus is lamenting the absence of God the Father which is bizarre because both Jesus and the Father are bound together as one with the Holy Spirit in the Trinity. And yet, even the most faithful person on the planet who has a special connectedness with God still experienced the absence of the Father. Even God experienced the silence of God. Isn't that strange? Once you open yourself up to the possibility of this, this theme, you see this theme all over the Bible. Don't get me wrong, right? Don't don't get me wrong here. I'm not up here trying to advocate for the silence of God. I'm not like saying it's a cool thing, right? I'm simply saying that it's part of life. And really, I'm not even the one saying that. It's the Bible who's saying that. Friends, if there have been seasons in your life where you felt like God was distant, I want you to know that that's okay. It's not necessarily your fault. The silence of God is a part of the faithful life. And I think that allowance, that space, really can help make those seasons more bearable. All right, so far, I've been trying to make space for the feeling of the absence of God within the context of the faithful life. But as I move toward the end of the sermon, I want to move beyond that general claim and attempt to imagine some different responses that are potentially beneficial that can possibly come from such experiences. To be sure, I want to be very clear here. This experience of the silence or absence of God can be excruciating. And I'm not trying to sound glib or dismissive. Friends, trust me. I've had my months and I've had my years. All right, it can be excruciating. But I think God's function in the world is far more complex than removing God's self to teach us some ethical lesson or whatnot. I just think this world is complex and that God is complex and that's a good thing, right? But that means that we should create space for that and we are invited to respond to that in community, we can make meaning from these experiences we don't just have to receive everything every experience of life like it's some hard lesson that's always from god sometimes maybe but not all the time and and these old kind of explanations of why god does things um they they don't help they don't make god feel more near and so i'm not trying to do any of that as i turn here instead i want to hopefully prime our imagination with some potential ways that we can respond to this faithfully without just turning within and anguishing. I wanna give some tools which have helped me navigate my seasons of God's silence with the hope that you can use them too. So so why, so what do we do when we experience the silence of God? Well, first, I think we go to community God's silence can really force us to rely on our communities. Experiencing absence from the presence of God can show us our need for each other, which can push us deeper into communion with our neighbors. God is decidedly uninterested in the kind of Americanized, individualistic Christianity. Just me and Jesus. Just me and Jesus. I don't think God's interested in that. And this provides us the opportunity to rely on each other in those difficult seasons. I cannot tell you the amount of times that I've had to rely upon mentors and friends because I've been in a rough spot. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Second, I think that the silence of God can open us up to different experiences of God, to different avenues of experiencing God that wouldn't have been open otherwise. As I grew through my undergraduate college, I still placed God in a pretty small box, Bible, prayer, church. But the more and more difficulty I encountered, the more and more willing I was to see God in atypical places, in broader places, in nature, in poetry, in my non-Christian neighbors, who, by the way, also bear the image of God, according to scripture because those immediate moments of access had been removed, I had been forced to experience God in a broader and eventually more beautiful way. Because God removed God's self, I experienced more of God. Third, cosmic quiet can force us to trust ourselves as we grow and mature. I don't think I'm the only person who hasn't thought, had the thought of like, all right, God, why don't you just make all my hard decisions for me? Or maybe just all my decisions, right? What job should I get? Who should I marry if I get married at all, etc. And I want that because it takes the pressure off me, right? But here's the thing. God isn't interested in making all our decisions for us. God is interested in seeing us grow into mature moral beings, which requires that God trust us to make our own decisions sometimes. I mean, just imagine waking up every morning and praying, okay God, do I wear the shorts or the pants? Do I wear the gray t-shirt or the yellow blouse? Sometimes the silence of God forces us to, our, to trust our God-given ability to discern in community what is right for us. I believe that. Now, if you're listening closely, You'll notice that I've said the word can. It can allow these things, not will. You know, you can respond to the silence of God in these ways, but it's not a necessary outcome. You have a choice to respond in these ways, but they are by no means, like they're not always going to happen. We have the opportunity to make meaning out of our experiences of God, and it's a beautiful and terrifying privilege. Now, again, I wanna be careful that I don't sound glib or dismissive. I am not saying, oh, really sorry that you're going through all that stuff. Why don't you just pick up yourself by your bootstraps and get going to your community or to poetry or flowers or whatever. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if you've experienced a silence of God, it's not always your fault. It's very likely not your fault but you don't have to fall into despair. There are people around you who will create space to validate that. And there are other avenues where you can go and experience beauty and goodness, and that's really good and Christian. And I'm saying also, if you don't know which way to go and you feel like every prayer you're getting is bouncing off the ceiling, well, you can trust your own ability and conscious and soul that God has given you, inspired by community, you know, you know, informed by community, informed by scripture to go and make those decisions. That's what I'm trying to say. Now, before we go to worship and ministry time, I want to close the sermon today and my time with you this summer with a sending thought that's related, but I think actually speaks more to everything I've said over the entire summer. It's lingered behind every sermon I've preached here. Friends, life is brim-filled with mystery. There is more uncertainty in this world than I care to admit sometimes. And in the face of such paradox, faith gives us the strength and the language not to find absolute certainty, but to live in and move through uncertainty. Friends, if you think that the faithful life is a life where you always are certain of where God is and how exactly you should act in every difficult situation, you may want to consider if your faith focuses more on comfort than on leaning into the beautiful complexity of this world. Don't get me wrong, right? I, it's understandable and I definitely ache for clarity too. You should see my journals, but at the end of the day, Absolute clarity is possible. and I think that fact is okay. Speaking of journals, Mother Teresa's private journal, uh, in, in her private journal, she shares the better part of the last 40 years of her life. She felt the overwhelming feeling of the silence of God. You know how people say like, oh, well, I'm no Mother Teresa, but this woman is actually Mother Teresa, right? Like she's the actual Mother Teresa, and she's still experienced this. If you're experiencing that, that's okay. There is space within that, within Christianity. Friends, this world is beautiful. It's beautiful and deeply confounding. And it is that world that God has called us into. It is that world that God has chosen to love and save. And we don't have to ignore that fact for us to love the world. to to be faithful in the world. And and so today, as I get ready to leave the sermon and the summer, instead of setting up and leaving you with three questions, I think the only proper way to really lean into this beautiful mystery is with poetry. More specifically, a poem from the illustrious, uh, recently passed poet just a few years ago, Mary Oliver. Friends, Welcome these words, let them guide you. The summer day, who made the world? Who made the swan and the black bear? Who made the grasshopper? This grasshopper, I mean, the one who has flung herself out of the grass, the one who is eating sugar out of my hand, who is moving her jaws back and forth instead of up and down who is gazing around with her enormous and complicated eyes. Now she lifts her pale forearms and thoroughly washes her face. Now she snaps her wings open and floats away. I don't know exactly what a prayer is. I do know how to pay attention, how to fall down into the grass, how to kneel down in the grass, how to be idle and blessed, how to stroll through the fields which is what I have been doing all day. Tell me, what else should I have done? Doesn't everything die at last and too soon? Tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Amen.
0: Been faithful all this time we know we have seen you move we have seen you work in our lives we have seen you bring healing and restoration and freedom and God we know that even when it feels dark when it feels quiet when it feels like you aren't there God that we can still hold fast knowing that you are faithful, knowing that you are still the same God who moved those mountains that we saw before and that you are not done. But God, that you are working for our completeness and so God, work in our completeness. We thank you for being here with us. We thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for moving with us. We ask that you would keep going that as we turn off this video, that your your spirit and your presence would be at the forefront of our minds, that you would tune our hearts to see you moving in our midst. That you would give us ears to hear and the courage to follow after what you are saying to us. God, give us opportunities to be your hands and feet. Give us opportunities to be lights in dark places and lovers of unloved people. God, we thank you so much. We love you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. That is everything that we have today. Um, Hope that you guys go and be the church, uh, even though we can't get together. And if you're not ready to get together and do church yet, go be the church where you are. Um, And hope you stay safe. We want to see you soon. We love you guys. Bye.